All right, if you have your Bible, we are Acts chapter 8. We're going to read one verse that we read last week uh, and then jump into uh, the rest. Uh, it, when I prayed, I thanked God for his creativity in, in, in the weather. Um, and we saw the weather. <laughs> I, I, I'm laughing about this. Friday morning, I woke up. I, I wake up around 4.45 or so so I can get, dra- get up, get showered, get dressed, and get ready to go to work. I woke up. It was pouring down rain. And on Friday evenings, uh, right after school, I've got soccer practice for, um, for Collins' team, which is made up of about six four-year-olds. And if you've ever tried to coach six four-year-olds, it, it's fun. Um, but it's pouring down rain. And so, okay, I, I thought, all right, not gonna have, we're not going to have soccer practice today. This is okay. This is fine. And all day long, it poured down rain. It was rainy and drizzly and gross and went outside for recess at about 12 o'clock. It was still really gnarly weather out there. So I, I got out my phone and I, I sent a text to the team and said, hey, we're not going to have practice. And as soon as I hit send on the text, the clouds parted and the sunshine came out. Now, you got to be kidding me. And so I get, you know, all the rest of the day, it's, it's sunshiny, it's beautiful. By the time I get home, it's like 65 degrees outside. I mean, it was perfect soccer weather. And of course, I, I sent a text to the, uh, the commissioner and he's like, what are you doing, man? The sun's shining. I'm like, dude, I sent, <laughs> I sent that text at 12 o'clock. Um, but anyway, so it, it's just, it's, it's interesting to watch our weather change so dramatically, even, you know, over the course of a weekend or even in the course of a day. And it just, it, it, it talks so much about how great our God is that he's able to, to maneuver and, and do those things so quickly. So uh, Acts chapter 8, um, we are going to read, begin reading in um, verse 8. I'm going to read down through 25, not all right now, but as we, as we get to it. Uh, today's, um, today's message is entitled, Signs of Revival. And if you spent any time in church or with church people, you know that revival is something that people talk a lot about, but don't really have any idea what it is. Uh, I, went to, I went to college down in Pensacola, Florida, and in Pensacola, Florida, there is, a ta- there is a church of some different type of denomination or flavor about every 10 feet. Like you can't, you can throw a rock and hit about four of them before that rock hits the ground. And, and we used to joke because we would drive to, uh, to the Walmart um, and there was, a, there was a church on the corner and they had this, a big sign very much like ours. And every couple of weeks they would have out there, Holy Ghost Revival. Really? And then one night it said, the Holy Ghost will be here on, and they, they had the date and the time. And I went, you got in his plan book? How did you manage to pull that off? Right? What we're going to look at today is we're going to look at an actual revival. A revival is a movement of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that you can plan. It's not something you can schedule, but it's certainly something you can prepare for. And, and when a revival takes place, as we're going to see here in Acts chapter 8, uh, that it, on a revival occurred in, uh, in Samaria, there are certain things that, that happen when that revival takes place. Certain things that, that are visible signs that the revival is happening. So I'm going to read, um, I'm going to read down through uh, verse, uh, I'm going to read 8 through 13, uh, and then we will pray and we'll jump into this. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 8, says this. So there was great joy in that city. Now, a man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least of them to the greatest. And they said, this man is called the great power of God. 
They were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Even Simon himself believed. And after he was baptized, he followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. Let's pray and we'll get to it. Father, I ask that you'd be with us now. I ask as we uh, take a look at the revival that took place in Samaria and the things that happened as a result of that. Lord, I actually, I, I pray that, that our church and our community and the churches around here, that we would all begin to experience revival as well. That we would see a, a true moving of the Spirit, a true moving of the Holy Spirit in our own lives and in, in the, uh, the corporate life of our church and that it would spread out to the other churches around and that we would, we would have great joy in our community as a result. We ask all of this in your beautiful name. Amen. All right, so the first thing that I want us to see uh, as we get, get into this passage is that when a revival happens, revival leads to freedom from false teachers. And unfortunately, in our world today, there is a, a large gathering. I, I can't think of another word for it. There is a large group of people who I would consider false teachers, right? We are, we are inundated with people who are claiming to be Bible-preaching pe pastors who are teaching things that go against the gospel. And unfortunately, they're getting sucked up by our culture, and our culture, as it has a tendency to do, starts to take them and twist them and spit them back out. And what ends up happening is our culture teaches us things that are also false. So here we go. After the persecution in Jerusalem, we, saw, we looked at this last week, there was the persecution that was taking place in Jerusalem as a result of Stephen's uh, martyrdom. The, the Hellenistic Jews just scattered. They went everywhere because they were already uh, not really looked highly upon because they were Greek. And so they scattered. But as they went, they didn't go into hiding. They went out preaching the gospel and spreading the, the, the message of the kingdom and the message of Jesus Christ to everyone they came in contact with. And Philip, as we saw last week, Philip did something that was completely countercultural. He left Jerusalem and he went to Samaria. Now that was a huge, huge thing because the Jews and the Samaritans were bitter enemies. They did not get along. They, they, they didn't want anything to do with each other. They wanted none of that. There was a great deal of hate and animosity between them. Um, in fact, I don't even think hate is a strong enough word to use for what these two groups of people felt toward each other. Now, as we see in Acts chapter 8, prior to Philip getting there, there was this dude named Simon. All right? And his real name, uh, in, in extra biblical literature, his name is Simon Magus, I believe it is, or, or Magus, or something along those lines. And Simon was a sorcerer. And so what he would do is he would go around and, and he would perform uh, I, for lack of a better term, I'm going to call it magic tricks. And I'm not talking like, hey, pick a card, and then you pull the card out of your ear or doing those. Like, he was doing legitimate magic, and, and it was impressing people. People were following. He had a great you know, following. He was kind of like David Blaine freezing himself in a block of ice up in New York City, although I can't imagine Simon was doing that. But, um, you know, he was, he was doing this. Now, Simon, Simon becomes, uh, for lack of a, a better term, he kind of becomes an important person in the history of the church, but not in a good way. Um, there, there is, there's some writings that, that uh, say that uh, Simon became the founder of a heresy known as Gnosticism. 
And as you read through, read through the letters, uh, particularly uh, James and John, uh, they start to talk about a particular teaching that's being taught. Simon is credited with being the one who, who started that. Uh, it's kind of an eclectic belief system. It's really hard to kind of nail down what exactly Gnosticism is. Um, but in essence, what it taught was that there was a secret, uh, there was a secret knowledge that people could work to, to learn. And once they learned it, it helped them to transcend above the physical world. So, I mean, it was, it, it, it was, it was pretty complicated. And, and Simon is the one who was credited with this. Um, the apostles, like I said, the apostles were constantly battling against this belief system. And, and they allude to it a lot. Um, now, Simon was doing his signs and, and claiming to have the authority to do these things. And he was leading many people astray with the things that he was teaching. Uh, a lot of the people in Samaria, Samaria from, the, from the lowest common people to the richest, uh, wealthy, you know, the well-known, all those, they were followers of Simon, and they were duped into believing what he was teaching because they, they was doing the things that they wanted to see, and he was teaching the things that they wanted to hear. The same is often true in our culture today. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing his last letter to to Timothy, he wrote this in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 through 4. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. So even back, yeah, we, we see that a great deal today. I mean, you can't turn on the television. You can't see a, a, a preacher on TV. Now, there are some, for, uh, let's make sure I'm clear on this. There are some preachers that are on TV who are good, solid preachers. There are some teachers, there are some preachers on TV who want to lead people astray and want to convince them that God, if you follow God and you do this for God, God's going to bless you and God's going to give you material wealth and God's going to give you physical health, and he's going to do all of these things. And that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not at all what the Bible teaches. It's really hard to have someone tell you that what you're doing is a sin. When somebody confronts you with your sin, that's really, that's a, it's a hard pill to swallow because nobody wants to be confronted with the reality of what they're doing as, as sin. I've had people confront me with things in my life that, that have been sinful. And I got to tell you, I don't think I reacted well. I didn't go, why, thank you. I appreciate you pointing out the fact that I'm sinning right now, right? When that happens, when we're confronted with sin, the first thing we do is we put up our shields because we don't want people telling us the things that we're doing are sinful. We don't want to be confronted with that. And that's why the Sanhedrin got so furious with, with uh, Peter and John and uh, Stephen. That's why they got so mad because Peter, John, and Stephen, every time they had a chance to talk to the Sanhedrin, what did they do? They said, you guys are the ones that killed Jesus. You should have been the ones that accepted him. You're the ones who killed him. They didn't like that. And eventually it culminated in Stephen being put to death. We want to pretend that our sin doesn't exist or that it isn't as bad as it actually is. Right? We want, we want to kind of... Um, uh, we want to kind of marginalize our sin and be like, oh, that's just a little white lie or, or, you know, that's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. That's not what the scripture tells us. The scripture tells us that sin, it, the wages of sin is death. 
So even when you grab that, 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 you know, that candy that your mom told you not to take, I know I don't have very many children in here today, but you, your mom said, don't eat the candy. And what do you do? You sneak behind her back and you eat the candy? You know, I, I know that seems like a simple thing, and uh, Jonathan's telling a joke. If your mom told you not to do it and you did it, that is disobedience. That's a sin. Guess what you just earned as a result of that? I hope that Twizzler was worth it. Because you, you just earned yourself a, a you know, all right. Instead of, instead of this, what we want to hear is we want to hear about how we can find purpose in our lives. Or we want to hear about how great we are, right? We want, we want the pastor to stand up and we want it to give us a message that fluffs us up and makes us feel good about ourselves and motivates us to go out there and tackle the issues, right? That's why some, I heard a preacher this week talking about um, how we need to have Saul in our life. We need to have people that are, 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 are challenging to us and are the Sauls in our life because if there's a Saul in our life, guess what that makes us? That makes us David, Right? And we all want to be David because David killed Goliath. Guess what? We're not David. David is David. Right? We can use that example as that, but we need preachers that are going to lovingly confront us with the reality of our sin. We don't need preachers that are going to get up and tell us that we're smart enough, we're good enough, and doggone it, people like us. Because the reality of it is we are not good enough and we are not smart enough. But through Jesus Christ and the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, guess what? Through Jesus, we are good enough. We're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to stand before God. And he's going to look down and he said, because of what Jesus Christ did for you, I'm accepting you. Come into my kingdom. Now, Simon was leading many people astray, telling them the things that they wanted to hear. But then Philip came along and he started preaching the message of the kingdom and the name of Jesus and as a result, there was a revival in the city. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 8 tells us there was great joy in the city. A revival is an extended period of renewed religious attention. It is a work of the Holy Spirit, and it's only through the Holy Spirit. There's nothing that we can do to manufacture it. Philip came into the city and began preaching the good news of the kingdom. And when this happened, people started getting saved and getting baptized. Their eyes were open to their spiritual realities of the gospel. And as a result, they started to turn away from what Simon was teaching them. Now, there are a lot of people in the world who love to say that they love the Bible. I don't know if you saw the news this week or anything. GQ magazine, I don't really know anybody that reads GQ magazine. But GQ magazine came out with a list of the 20 most overrated books in the world. The Bible happened to be on that list. And as you, might, as you might anticipate, people on social media blew up, and they were so angry. But I had a friend who posted that the people who are probably the most angry are the ones who read the Bible the least. Right? Um, Lifeway Research, Lifeway Research, the, uh, the research uh, uh, branch of the Southern Baptist Convention, they did a survey, and what they found out was that more than 45% of people who attend church only read the Bible one time a week. Almost half of the people who took, our, took that survey who claim to love the Bible only read it one time a week. And if you only read it one time a week, guess what? You don't know what it says. And so when somebody comes along and starts teaching something that is contrary to the scripture, if you're not spending time in the word, guess what happens? You go, oh, that sounds good. 
that sounds great. I'm going to believe that because you don't know the truth about what he's teaching. That's why there's, there are preachers like a guy named Rob Bell who can write a book and tell you that people who die without Jesus go to hell, but because God is love, eventually he's going to empty hell and let them all go to heaven. That's why that guy can become a, a New York Times bestseller, because we don't know what the Bible says. That's why there are so many churches, including some churches who used to be a part of our denomination, who are willing to accept gay marriage because they don't know what the Bible teaches. Right? If we don't understand what the scripture teaches, then when somebody comes along and gives a false teaching, we're not going to know how to stand up against it. Um, but when we begin to study our Bibles and we hear solid Bible preaching and teaching, preaching and teaching that focuses on what the scripture says and not what we want the scripture to say or not what we think about what the scripture says, Sometimes we sit around and we talk about, oh, well, this is how I feel about that particular passage. That's not what we're supposed to do with the scripture. We read the scripture. Whatever the scripture says, that's what we have to do. Not our feelings. This is not based on our feelings. It's what God said through the people who wrote the scripture. As this passage continues, I'm sorry, but as we, as we dig into the word, we're going to be set free from the false teachings that the false teachers on, that in our world are going to do and the false teaching that our culture wants us to believe. Christianity should be very counterculture, countercultural because we're going against the false teachings of our culture. Now, as this passage continues, we see that even Simon himself got caught up in here. It tells us in uh, verse 13, even Simon himself believed. Now, unfortunately, as we're going to see as we continue on, this was a false conversion. The reason that Simon went to Philip and said, hey, I'm a believer, I want to get baptized, is because he realized that he was losing ground with the people in Samaria. Prior to Philip showing up, Simon was the dude. He was the one that everybody followed and everybody wanted to be a part of and everybody wanted to hang out with. When Philip showed up and started preaching the gospel, people turned away from Simon. And so Simon said, you know what? In order for me to get them back on my side... I need to become like them. I need to make a profession of faith. So he went to Philip and he said, hey, Philip, I'm a believer. I need to get baptized. But as we're going to see, this was a false conversion. He was simply doing it because he wanted to maintain his popularity. Now, as we continue, the second thing that we're going to see, not only does revival lead to freedom from false teachers, revival restores broken relationships. Acts chapter uh, four, 8, 14 says this, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, in the midst of all of this revival that's going on in Samaria, remember Samaria is about 40 miles to the north of Jerusalem, word got back to the apostles and the church in Jerusalem. I can imagine that when word got back, there was a great deal of incredulity. I hope I pronounced that word right. I had to look it up. I was like, man, I'm going to use a big word tomorrow. There was a lot of incredulity. The, the, the apostles were incredulous about believing that the Samaritans could have received the gospel. Because remember, they hated each other. 
This was, this was two groups of people that wanted absolutely nothing to do with each other. In fact, this is why when Jesus went to, the, uh, went to Samaria, it was such a huge deal for the disciples. John chapter 4, verse 9, uh, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and she can't even believe that Jesus is talking to her. John 4, 9 says this, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink for me, a Samaritan woman? She asked for him. For the Jews did not associate with Samaritans. I mean, this was, this was groundbreaking for Jesus to do this. And now, you know, after Jesus is, uh, has died and is, is back, uh, has ascended back up into heaven, the gospel arrives in Samaria, Samaria. And even though the apostles had been told by Jesus himself that they were going to be the ones who, was gonna, who were going to take the gospel to Samaria... They probably were having a difficult time processing this because old habits die hard, right? It was, they, they couldn't just get the word and be like, yeah, the gospel's in Samaria. And they're all of a sudden, hallelujah, right? That, that, that's not what they were thinking. They're like, really? Those people deserve the gospel? The Samaritans? Are we talking about the same group that, that, that's going on? Um, the apostles had to overcome years of ingrained hatred and racism toward the Samaritans. If you were to ask them, the apostles probably would have given lip service to the fact that the Samaritans needed Jesus. They probably would have said, yeah, the Samaritans need Jesus, all right? But it took a great deal to get for them to actually leave Jerusalem and go down to Samaria to give them the word. But it wasn't until Philip went with that message that they were able to get up and go there. The working of the Holy Spirit through a, mo a movement of revival it was, is what allows us to put aside, our th uh, put aside the thoughts and feelings that destroy relationships. We live in a time where there's a lot of talk about racial inequality and racial issues. I don't want to stand up here, and I'm not going to stand up here and pontificate that the way we fix the racial issues in our country is to do this, because I don't know the answers to that. Right? That is well beyond my pay grade. I'm going to take a line from uh, President Obama. That's well beyond my pay grade. All right? But what I can tell you is that when we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, when we are fully trusting in what God says in his word, and we are yielding to the Holy Spirit, that hatred that we may have and those hurt feelings and anger that we might have toward other people or other groups of people, it's going to go a long way to helping repair those relationships, as we see right here. When Peter and John arrived in Samaria, it became apparent that the Samaritans were believers, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Now, this may seem a bit strange, because we believe that at the moment that you become a believer, you get the Holy Spirit, right? You have all of the Holy Spirit inside of you that you need the moment that you become a believer, the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you become a brand new creation, a brand new creature filled with the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. When we become believers, when, when we are given a brand new heart, our heart, of flesh is our heart of stone is removed and our heart of flesh is given to us, we are filled with the Holy Spirit at that time. But in this particular case, the Holy Spirit, uh, and we'll see why that was here in a second, the Holy Spirit was held back from the Samaritans. They had been baptized in the name of Jesus, but they hadn't yet 
been given the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the reason that we're, we'll see is actually quite a beautiful picture. What actually took place, what actually took place here was a special, a special message from God to the apostles to show them that the Samaritans were just like they were. Because if you remember back in Acts chapter 2, when Pentecost happened for the apostles, they were, in the, they were in the room praying, and the Holy Spirit fell down on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they thought, they believed that, that what they had seen up to that point was just that the Jews were getting the Holy Spirit. And now here in Acts chapter 8, when Philip goes to Samaria, and, and the Samaritans of all people, the Samaritans, when they began to receive the gospel and began to put their faith and trust in Jesus, the apostles were having a difficult time believing it. So Peter and John were sent from the church down there, and when they got down there, they saw that they were, in fact, believers, but hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. So what ends up happening is, it, that was the moment that God opened their eyes to the reality that all people, regardless of who they are or what they look like, are made in the image of God and are therefore deserving of hearing the gospel and receiving the Holy Spirit. And so what the scripture tells us is that they went in there and they laid hands on them. And it was at that moment that they realized God was telling them, these are my children just like you. These people right here belong to me just like you belong to me. You guys are one and the same. They may be Jews and you may be Samaritans. You might be white. These folks over here might be black. We are all made in the image of God and we are all deserving of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter. There are so many people, and it, it, this is a shame in our denomination. This is a shame in our denomination. There are so many people in our denomination, the Southern Baptist, who still look down on other people because of the color of their skin. And the Bible teaches us right here that we are all God's creation. And there's, there is no place for racist attitudes. There is no place for racist jokes. There is no place for racist comments anywhere in the life of a believer. Well, let's continue before I get on my soapbox here. <laughs> they laid their hands on the... Uh, on the, on the uh, Samaritans, and the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit filled them. And it was the witnessing of it by the apostles show, had, should have gone a long way to tearing down the wall that existed between them. Yielding to the Holy Spirit will, will allow each of us to work toward restoring relationships that are damaged. It may be a damaged relationship with a family member. It might be a damaged relationship with a member of the church. Maybe you're holding on to, to, to some slight that took place and you, you just can't let go of it. But you, when you yield to the Holy Spirit, it's going to go a long way to tearing that wall down. It may be a damaged relationship with someone from another ethnic group. But when we are fully yielded to the Spirit and experiencing the revival that comes as a result of that, we will see that there is no place for these attitudes of unforgiveness and hatred. That comes only through yielding to the Spirit. And the third thing that we see here is we see revival shows our true motivations. Now, if you remember in Acts chapter, uh, in um, verse 13 of this passage, Simon went to uh, Philip and said, Simon, or Philip, I'm a believer, I wanna get baptized. Well, he was following Philip around. He was seeing all of the things that, that Philip was doing and he was formulating a plan. And then Peter and John showed up 
And Peter and John laid their hands on people, and they got the Holy Spirit. And Simon said, I need to get me a piece of that. All right, let me, let me get some of that. And so he went to Peter. Let me read it. Um, verse 18, beginning of verse 18 says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. He went to them and said, Dude, let me give you some money. I want some of that. I want some of that action. Saying, give me this power also so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter told him, may your silver be destroyed with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, your heart's intent may be forgiven. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. And I told you that Simon was not a true believer. And this verse right here, verse 24, shows us that. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. So after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. This passage right here shows that revival, the working of the Holy Spirit, shows our true motivations. Simon the sorcerer witnessed the fact that the Holy Spirit came upon the Samaritans when the apostles laid their hands on them. But, and because he was looking for a way to regain his popularity, he wanted to get back to being the number one dude in all of Samaria. Because of that, he went to them and offered to pay them to get, so that he could have the, the power to do this. This has actually become known throughout church history as a simony. Right? It's a phrase where people are using, using money to buy spiritual authority in the church. Right? It's, it's not a good thing. You don't, want to, you don't want to be referred to as having committed a simony. Peter immediately rebuked uh, Simon for his hypocrisy. He refused to take Simon's money, and he confronted him with the spiritual reality of his heart. Peter could see right through what Simon was trying to do, and he knew as a result of his actions and the way that he was carrying on that he, in fact, was not a believer. The Bible tells us that we'll know people by their fruits, and, and uh, Peter could see that Simon was not, his heart was not right. As we see in the scripture, Peter then goes on to warn Simon that his attitude is wicked and that he needs to repent. He needs to be forgiven of his sins. As you read this passage, it sounds like Peter is coming down really hard on Simon. Like he is just, just you know, going guns a-blazing at him, just laying it out. Be like, your money's going to be destroyed. You're going to be destroyed. All, it sounds like he's, you know, just screaming at him, kind of like that pastor I showed on the uh, TV about the dude sleeping in church. Y'all remember that video? Right? That guy was, you know, busting chops. But actually what happened is Peter knew where Simon was headed. Peter knew what the outcome for Simon was going to be, and him confronting him this way was one of the most loving things that Peter could have done. Because he knew if he allowed Simon to continue doing the things that he was doing and continue acting the way that he was acting, that his end result was going to be eternal separation from God in a, in a pit uh, prepared for the devil that we refer to as hell. That's where Simon was going to go. And Peter looked at him and said, Dude, I cannot let you do this. I cannot let this happen. He got in his face and he confronted him about the things that he was doing. And unfortunately, it did not go well. Right? We can see that instead of Simon repenting, I would like to tell you that Simon repented. 
I would like to say that one day we're going to get up in heaven and we're going to be able to joke with him. Like, dude, you thought you could buy it, right? We're going to sit down for some, uh, some, some coffee and be like, Simon, what were you thinking? Unfortunately, Simon did not repent. The scripture tells us Simon asks Peter to pray for him. Peter told him, you need to pray and you need to ask for forgiveness of this bitterness and this wickedness that's poisoning you and tying you up. And Simon's response was, why don't you pray for me? Would you pray for me instead of doing it? Because what it was, Simon was not interested in repenting. Simon was not interested in anything but himself. He only wanted this for himself. He was not interested in admitting that he was sinful and wrong because to do so, he would have had to humble himself and he couldn't do that. He couldn't grasp that. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 23 says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Simon heard the message and he couldn't, he couldn't get past the difficulty of it. Simon wanted the ability to lay hands on people because he thought it would make him popular with the people again. It was how he made his living, and that rascally Philip showed up and had to ruin everything for him. Now he was going to have to go get a real job, right? He was going to have to go you know, flip burgers or something. Um, they had to show up and do it. The working of the Holy Spirit revealed his true motivations. So let me ask you, what are your motivations for doing the things that you do? I said last week, I talked last week about the 20-80 rule, where 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work, right? And, and in a church this size, you know what that is? It's about six of us. It's about six of us doing everything. I, I, she's, she'll kill me if she hears me say this. My poor wife is running herself ragged because it seems like every single thing that needs to be done Tina is doing it. And I, forgive me, don't think that I'm, I'm, I'm overlooking the things that everybody else does. But it just seems like anything that's related to children's ministry, Tina has her hands involved in it somehow. And I don't know if that's her doing it because she wants to be a part of it, or if people just go, oh, Tina will do it, so let's ask Tina to do it. But she is killing herself because she's trying to do this, because 20% of the people are doing 80, 85, 90% of the work. Right? It, 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 what are the motivations for doing these things? Are we doing it because we want to do that? Are we, do we serve the church in order to get recognition from others? Or are we serving so that we can tell, so other people will come up to you and tell you how great you are? Right? Is that the reason that, that people serve in the church? Because they want the recognition from others? They want the pat on the back? They want the attaboy? Good job, I appreciate what you're doing. Or are you serving in the church and doing the things that you do because you're trying to be like the church in Acts chapter, uh, the, the first part, I was going to say a, a chapter number and I didn't want to be wrong because some of y'all will correct me. I'll get text messages. Uh, that was actually Acts chapter four, right? You, <laughs> I had to lighten the mood there for a second, right? Are you, are you doing these things because you want to bring glory to God's name and you're trying to outserve other people? Are you trying to show love to your church family or are you doing it just to get a pat on the back? Our motivations should be based on love and a desire to outserve others. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 12 through 15 says this. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's works will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. 
the fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that was that he if anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now as we close, everything that takes place during a revival is the work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot manufacture it and we cannot plan for it. Right? That church down in Pensacola who said the Holy Spirit was going to be there at 7.30 on Wednesday, I have no idea how that was going to happen. I really don't. I, 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 I wanted to go and find out, but yeah, couldn't, get, couldn't get off. But, um, however, we can prepare for it. We can prepare for it. It is very likely that the reason that the Samaritans were so open and sensitive to the message of the kingdom that Philip brought, the reason that they were so open and receptive to it was because years before, Jesus had stepped out and went and spoke to a woman at the well. And through his message to her and her testimony to the rest of the village, it began to prepare their hearts and to get them ready for it. If we truly want to experience revival, if we want to be free from the false, teaching of, false teachings of this world, and if we want to see broken relationships restored, both personally and corporately, it begins when we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. When we yield ourselves and we, we begin to dive into God's word, when we devour God's word, and we can't wait till the next time we get to spend time reading God's word, and we are, be, we are praying as if our lives depend upon it, individually and corporately as a church. Sunday nights, man, it's, I, I, I've talk, I haven't mentioned this in a while. Sunday nights is one of the most beautiful moments of my week because we have people... Um, we have, we have small groups of people gathered here in this church all over the place, and they're pouring out their hearts to Jesus. They're pouring out their hearts. And, and we, there is such a beautiful spirit when we have those groups praying together. If you have not yet participated in it, if you have not yet experienced it, let me, let me highly encourage you to come out and be a part of it. It is fantastic. But when we do those things, when we are praying individually as if our lives depend on it, and as a church, when we do those things, only then will we start to see the Spirit move and we experience the revival that took place in Samaria. We must prepare our hearts and our lives in order for Him to work. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for today, Lord. I thank you for this passage of Scripture uh, and the, the signs of revival, Lord. And I pray that, that, that we would begin to experience these signs of revival, that we would have... Um, that we would be set free from the false teachings, not only the false teachers that, that um, we, we see on television and the books and the things that we hear on the radio, that we would be set free from believing the things that they're teaching, um, but that we would also be set free from the false teachings of our culture, the things that, that we're inundated with constantly through news stories and television programs and, and all of those things. And Lord, the way that we'll be set free from those is, is through diving in and and really devouring and, 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 and just spending so much time in the word of God that it just oozes out of us, Lord, and so that we would be set free. And Lord, that we would have broken relationships restored through your Holy Spirit, uh, and that our motivations would be pure, our motivations would be true, that we would be doing things not because we're looking for a pat on the back or we're not, we're not trying to get people to give us a thumbs up, but that we're doing it because we truly love you and we truly love the members of our church. And so, Father, I pray that we would begin to experience those things as we are yielding ourselves to you, Lord, that we would um, 
We would trust you to do the things that we would yield to the Spirit, that we'd be filled with the Spirit that comes through uh, studying and, and believing your word and spending time in prayer individually and corporately, Lord, that through those things we would begin to experience revival. And as, as a result of having that revival, that we would see people give their lives to you, that we would have baptisms upon baptisms and that we would experience spiritual growth and our sanctification would become, we would be coming more and more like your son every day. Father, I ask that you would make that a reality here in this church, Lord, that, that we would truly experience revival as a result of yielding to you. We ask all of this in your beautiful name. Amen.